Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina astafa amma ba'd We have been covering Kitab al-Iman, we have been talking about Iman and we talked about the relationship between Iman and Islam and Deen, these terms what is the definition of Iman, Lughatan in the language, in the, in the dictionary Istilahan in the terminology of our Deen, what is the meaning of Islam Lughatan Istilahan in the dictionary as well as in the terminology of the Sharia. What is the relationship between Islam and Iman? What are the different definitions of Iman? The different Batil Firaq, we talked about how the Karamiya, the Murjiya, Jahamiya, Mu'tazila, Khawarij, all of these different groups, how they define Iman. This is just a review. Uh, not even review, just going over some of the topics we covered. And does Iman increase or decrease or not? Quantity, quality, kamiya, kafiya, all of these discussions we came to a conclusion, alhamdulillah. Now, at the end, the last thing I had mentioned was that for us to be able to understand iman, that things sometimes are understood by understanding the opposites. So, to understand the benefit of light, we have darkness, and to enjoy the beauty of the spring and the summer, we have the winter. So, we appreciate it more. And we appreciate health by, through sickness. And we appreciate wealth through poverty. And we appreciate happy occasions through sad occasions. We appreciate uh, the, you know, well, we appreciate the young age after we get old age, but that's too late. As the young age will not come back. Uh, as the Shire said that, Ya Laita Shabab Yoman. فَأُخْبِرُهُ بِمَا فَعَلَ الْمُشِيبُ Something to the effect that I wish that the young age could come back one day and then I could inform it, oh, this is what the old age has done to me. Um. So, so to understand, anyway, we, were, we, we covered the deficit of Iman to the best of our extent. The way Allah made it easy for us. Now moving on to Kufr. So Kufr would be, again, uh, rejecting. Rejecting what? Rejecting that which is ma'loon fi deen bidharura. That which is necessarily known to be part of the deen. That which is proven, qat'iyu thabut. The transmission is sound. Qat'iyu dalala. The meaning is explicitly clear. Yet a person denies it. He outright denies it, he makes takzeeb of it, he rejects it, that is kufr. And if a person, he makes a ta'wil, he, he interprets it in such a manner that is something that none of the scholars of the past, none, no, no one has ever interpreted in that manner, that will also fall under kufr. He cannot say that, Yani, for example, you take the hukum of wudu. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu idha kuntum ila salah fawsilu wujuhakum wa aidiyakum ila marafiq ila akhiril ayah. This is the ayah commanding wudu. So if a person says, oh, I believe in the Quran uh, and I'm a Muslim, la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. But then he says, he rejects the wudu and he makes a ta'wil. He's a, he effectively is rejecting the wudu. When he completely, na'udhu billah, if somebody completely says, I don't believe in Surah Ma'idah, or I don't believe in this ayah, or I don't believe in the Quran, I don't believe in this chapter, this juz, or this ayah, this verse, this word even, then that's easy kufr. 
that person is a kafir. But the confusing part becomes easy meaning, easy to distinguish and not be confused. Uh, uh, but it becomes confusing when a person says, no, I believe in the whole Quran. And then, do, do you reject this? I know I don't reject the ayah. But then he comes up with an explanation. This is such a um, difficult thing when they start doing tahalif in the ma'na. So they will come up with an explanation. We never heard, nor our forefathers ever heard. And he says that this ayah of, of wudu is there. However, it's about uh, when you, you know, before they had AC and uh, climate control and they were working with the animals in the fields, then they had this commandment to wash themselves. Now you don't have to wash anymore. Right? Or riba was haram because it was a really high percentage, but now it's okay. It was very exorbitant rates. If somebody is in severe need and he's dying, the children are hungry and he comes to borrow money or beg for money, then you tell him, I'll give it to you at like 30%, 40% interest. That's haram. Otherwise, but if you're doing it just to buy a house and have a luxurious life, it's okay. So I'm not going to say, Na'udhu that's kufr right away. <laughs> but okay, so that, that, that's exactly the point. Where, which ta'wil is, ta is kufr, which ta'wil is non kufr? It's a very, very tricky scenario. Uh, so one is that if it is, if it's something is very, very manzo, clear, explicit, and you're coming up with the ta'wil and you're saying, I'm not, I'm not rejecting the Quran, I'm believing in it. Like there is about uh, khinzir too, about the pork. They say that, oh, it was haram because uh, they wouldn't cook it properly. And there would be parasites in it and it would be harmful for you if you would ingest it. But if you, you know, stick a thermometer into the... Uh, ham as you're roasting it to make sure the internal temperature reaches such a level that it will kill anything potentially harmful is na'udhu billah okay na'udhu billah this is naql al-kufri biniyat al-kufri biniyat al-radd al-kufri laysa bi kufrin narrating a statement of kufr with the intention of rejecting the kufr is not kufr we covered this concept before because the Quran somebody will say oh it's the Quran says Masih ibn Allah Jesus is the son of God it's in the Quran Okay, so it's not, it's in the Surah Al Qalat al Yahudu or Zayran ibn Allah, wa Qalat al Nasara, Masih ibn Allah. The Christians, they say Jesus is the Son of God. Allah is narrating their statement. And then He says, um, then Allah rejects it. This is false things they are coming up with. Uh, and Allah is pure from having a son. So we are narrating a statement of kufr. These are all or statements of 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 of, uh, of zandaqa of tab in in tabdi' in at least in i'tiqad and in amal. These type of practices are wrong. So it be, it is a very very fine line to determine which aqidah is kufr and which aqidah is not kufr. And it's something you have to be very careful for because. Rasulullah mentioned in a hadith that Man li ya kafir Whoever says to his brother, Oh, you owe oh, kafir, then one of the two will be a kafir. So if the person who is uh, being addressed is truly a kafir, then it's, it's fine in that sense that you have identified a kafir. But if he is not, then he may come back to haunt you. Allah al-Musta'an. Alaman wal May Allah protect us from that. So that is why this, the scholars say that if there is a statement that there are 99 different ways of interpreting the statement as kufr, one really, really ba'id, far off interpretation, which uh, could save that person's iman, the scholars will be, uh, try to take that opinion and say, no, perhaps he meant this. Perhaps he meant this.
Uh, one example of that is when Imam Hanifa was sitting, he had a uh, shura of fuqaha, 40 fuqaha sitting together, and they would discuss masail. And they had Imam Abu Yusuf, Yaqub ibn Ibrahim, Qadi Abu Yusuf there, and, and the you know, other imams there, Imam Zufar, Imam Hassan bin Ziyad, all these other scholars. And the youngest one who was writing the notes, he would take the minutes, was Imam Muhammad ibn al-Hassan al-Shaybani, rahimahullah. So Imam Muhammad al-Hassan al-Shaybani, his notes that he compiled of the fatawa that were discussed were 83,000, 83,000 fatawa. And then he compiled them in those six books known as Usul Sitta, Al-Jami' Al-Kabir, Al-Jami' Al-Saghir, Al-Mabsud, Al-Ziyadat, and Sirah Al-Saghir, Sirah Al-Kabir, these six books. So he was... Uh, sitting there with his students, one person came in and he said that, I want to ask you a fatwa about this man. This is the so-and-so, his issues. So the first thing is that he says that um, he loves fitna. Number one. Number two is that he hates the haq. Number three is he has no desire for jannah. Number four is he doesn't have any fear of jahannam. Number five is uh, he eats the carrion, maita. Allah Ta'ala says, Maita. He eats that. And number six is whenever he's performing salah, he doesn't do ruku in sujood even. So, what is the status of this person's iman? So, Imam Hanifa asked the students, What do you think? So, it was not too difficult of a question. <laughs> it was pretty straightforward from their perspective. They thought about it and then they said that we find it very, very difficult. Uh, for this person to be considered a good Muslim or a mu'min or but rather uh, he some of the statements may be borderline kufr others are definitely fisk and major sins he's involved in Zimbabwe Hanifa Rahmatullah said that no he could be proven as a true Muslim and then he said how is that so he said because yeah give him the benefit of the doubt before you say he's a kafir this is just a theoretical exercise so then he said that, how so? He said, look, you have to ask him what he means. When he said that he loves a fitna, so did you ask him which fitna he's referring to? Because maybe he loves his innocent children. Fitna. <laughs> so, uh, subhanAllah. Fitna. Why didn't you ask him? That's why Imam Malik said that, see this pillar of wood here? There's a wooden pillar in the Masjid Nabawi. He said, if Imam Abu Hanifa came here, he, he could give you so many evidences it's made of gold. And he would win the debate. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so he said that, um, uh, he said, inna, he, maybe it's, inna, um, he was very, very smart uh, person, uh, subhanAllah, that even for like worldly things, people can bother him because he was just so intelligent. And one person, uh, he was busy studying, teaching, doing his a'mal, bringing his fajr with wudu isha for 40 years and doing his uh, 61 khatams in Ramadan and his, and his hajj and all of that. So, and besides his fiqh and his business, international businessman with, with his uh, clothing merchant. He was a merchant. He would import and export clothing. So, he came, uh, a person came to me and said that, uh, I lost my treasure. I, I buried it somewhere I can't remember. He said, why are you coming to me? <laughs> What do I have to do that? This doesn't have anything to do with ilmul kalam. He was originally mutakallim and he used to debate with the atheists. And after that, he went into fiqh and hadith. So he said, why are you coming to me? This, I'm not, how am I supposed to help you? He said, no, 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 you are supposed to be, you're known as a super intelligent person. So you have to help me find my um, treasure that I have 
buried it. I buried my treasure somewhere. I completely forgot. Like Joha in Kitab al-Hamukha, the story of the foolish people. He, Joha is a famous fool of the Arab uh, literature. So he was uh, burying his treasure in the desert. So some people came and said that, you're burying your treasure in the desert. What if you're going to forget? How are you going to find it? He said, you think I'm so foolish person? <laughs> I didn't just bury it in any random place. There's a super unique cloud. None like it, right on top, right? So I'm burying it underneath this cloud. Have you ever seen a cloud like this? You think I'm stupid? So I'm going to find it. So this person came and he said, I lost, I lost my treasure. I can't remember what it is. Can you help me? So he was busy doing his things, his work, Imam Hanifa. And he said, get lost. Give me a, I mean, gotta do, you're disturbing me. He said, no. And then he said, okay, you know what? Go, go to your home and, and then make the knee of 100 nafal rakah. You got to pray 100 nafal rakah and two rakah, make salam, and then pray two rakah, two rakah, two rakah, 100. And two, uh, two sizes per rakah, 200 sizes. Make dua, and after that, make dua, and inshallah you'll find it. The guy said, Really? He said, Yeah. Just go, go, just get lost, do it then. So then he went, he started praying. He prayed two rakats, another couple more rakats. What happened? Right? The two places in the Quran it mentions that shaitan makes you forget. One is with Yusha ibn Nun and Musa alayhi salam, in Surah Al-Kahf, in Khidr alayhi salam's story, is that um, they have a lunch that's packed of grilled fish. Obviously, it's a dead, cooked fish, and you know, Musa alayhi salam is sleeping, so Yusha ibn Nun sees that the fish comes alive, <laughs> and then he gets up and he jumps out of the basket and goes into the river and starts, فَاتَّقَذَ سَبِيلَهُ فِي الْبَحْرِ سَرَبًا And then he makes it, it starts uh, swimming against the current. So what a crazy incident. But what happens is when Musa Islam wakes up, he forgets to tell him. And how in the world can you forget such an amazing incident? It's because that, those were the era of miracles. So 12 paths are opening up in the ocean. 12 streams are coming out from the rock. Musa Islam's hand is becoming a shining light. Manna Salwa is coming from the sky. The staff is turning into a serpent. All this stuff is normal. So it was like so normal. Oh, another miracle. Okay, went back to sleep. And then, so he forgot about it. That's so he says here. Shaitan made me forget. And then the second one was in Surah Yusuf. In Surah Yusuf, when Yusuf told his companion in the in the jail, Ya Sahibi Ya Sijin, he gave them da'wah and everything. He interpreted their dreams, and he told the one that you're going to be getting the job back as the cupbearer, Saqi, the one who is going to give the drink to the king. So remember me, when you go to the king, tell the king that there's one innocent guy locked up in jail. You should revisit his case, you know. After years, they go back and do DNA analysis, and they find out, oh, this guy was completely innocent. It was a, the police beat him up and forced a false confession. So like that, go back and let's open up his file and review this case. Why is this Yusuf in the jail? Yusuf ibn Ya'qub alayhi wasalam. And now, uh, he forgot. When the king saw the dream, many years later, nine years later, then he remembers. And he says, oh, shaitan made me forget. So shaitan making a person forget comes two times in the Quran. Now what happens is that when a person is performing salah, shaitan comes. That's also proven from hadith. That's the difference between da'wah and ibadah. 
When the adhan is called, shaitan runs away. Lahu duratun yusma'a. He even runs away so frightened that he passes gas. Comes in the hadith. Uh, but when the salah starts, then he comes back and he does tashweesh and he tries to make us confused. Hatta la yadri until a person forgets or yansa how many rakat he performed. Um, so the shaitan came. So after he prayed two rakat, another two rakat, shaitan said, wait a second, this is going to be 200 sajdas. And sajda is what shaitan hates the most. Because every time when an abd of Allah does a sajda, his inner conscience eats him up. And he thinks that I was the mu'allimun malaika. It was one sajda I refused to do. And I became ukhruj minha fa'innaka rajim. Get out of him here. You are expelled. You are the cursed. So whenever a, when an abd does a sajda, it causes him pain. He hates it. He doesn't like sajdas. And when he makes us forget, and we make a mistake, then we do two additional sajdah saho, another two punches. Right? So that is the hikmah behind the sajdah saho. Now, um, and when the Imam makes the mistake, what do we say? We don't say, Allah Akbar, <laughs> MashaAllah, what do we say? SubhanAllah. So what a latif, very subtle hint. We say, SubhanAllah, Allah is pure from all defects, and forgetting is a defect, and Allah is pure from all defects, and everyone besides Allah will have defects, will forget. So you're not Allah too, and I'm not Allah, so maybe you forgot. <laughs> so such a very nice way we indicate that, subhanAllah, by saying subhanAllah, Allah alone is pure from defects. La yadillu rabbi wa la yansa. My Lord does not forget. So anyway, the sajda, so he's, so shayt, long story short, what happened? Shaitan came and reminded him. And he remembered. And he remembered, oh my God, that's where I buried it. It wasn't a cloud, perhaps, but some, some place he had buried it under some tree or something. Then he went in and he started digging and he found it. Then what happened? Do you think he finished the 200 God? I don't think so. La ilaha illallah. This is what Allah Ta'ala said. When a human being is, has an affliction, then he calls out to us, Ya Allah, Ya Allah. Sitting, standing on his bed in the ICU, Ya Allah, Ya Allah. When he's discharged, healthy, goes back. Then he forgets me completely. So, um, anyway, we were talking about this man. So this man, what did happen? Number one is that he said he loves fitna. He said, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالَكُمْ وَوَلَادَكُمْ Fitna. By the way, this is a very important uh, uh, understanding of this word fitna that will help us in this day and age when there are people who object against uh, the hadith of Rasulullah and who say that, oh, this hadith is misogynistic, it's anti-woman or you are anti-woman. When we say that, oh, subhanAllah, uh, if, someone, if someone says woman or the hadith says of Rasulullah I have not seen, I have not seen a fitna that has more harm for the men than nisa from the fitna of Nisa. So they'll say, wow, like fitna means negative thing. It has a negative connotation, it's bad. Fitna is evil. The hadith says the biggest fitna for men is women. So basically the hadith is saying, na'udhu billah, the enemies of Islam are gonna say, remember we talked about Khawarij, we talked about Mu'tazila. So the, the present day Mu'tazila, neo Mu'tazilites, they call themselves, or we call them, they don't call them. They call themselves the progressive movement. They will say, wow, this is an anti-woman hadith. It's fabricated perhaps, depending on how high the level of feminism, like how deviated they are. You can go deviated to my Allah is a she. As Rashida Tilab says from Michigan, representative, US representative, and congresswoman. So people are so proud, oh, Muslim representative. She actually says my Allah is a 
she. So it goes all the way from there to Anbiya being woman, to Imam being woman, to this all the way. Now, and some will just say, okay, fine, hadith is okay, but these uh, males, they came up with these false stuff throughout the centuries. They, made, they concocted, they fabricated these things. So they will say that, oh, how, how can the Prophet say that, my, uh, that women are fitna? So the problem is we have not understood the word fitna. So we'll say, fitna is something evil. So women are evil? Is the Prophet saying women are evil? No. Fitna basically uh, is a test, such a test that distinguishes the, the genuine gold from the fake gold. The test is a fitna. Such a condition uh, where the iman of a person is tested, will he truly obey Allah? Or will he fall into that, uh, into that trap? That is the test. So the test is, um, if something is called a fitna, means that th that thing is evil, then the Quran says, Okay, leave the mal, but children are fitna. So what about innocent young kids? Is anyone saying that these innocent young kids are evil? No. Rather, the love in the heart of the man, of the father for his kids, or the mother for her kids, the love in the heart of a person for the money that they're earning. That love is a fitna. That love is the test. That you love your kids so much that in order to please them, you will end up disobeying Allah. And as a result, you will be enslaved. But Allah Ta'ala as a punishment for that will make you their slaves. Likewise, the love that a man, the test for a man is the love he has for the woman is such that he will end up disobeying Allah to please the woman. So, the woman is not inherently evil, the child is not inherently evil, the wealth is not inherently evil. It's the love in the heart of a person that makes him forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, makes him sacrifice the order of Allah and fulfill the love, the desire of the beloved. That's the fitna, right? That's the test. So that was the first one. Anyway, there's a lot of questions here, right? So this is the one, he loves fitna. He hates haq, which haq is that death and taxes, right? So he, maybe he doesn't like to die. Death is a haq too. That is an undeniable reality. Every soul shall taste from the cup of death. Must drink from the cup of death. So maybe he is afraid of death. And then number three is that he says that he doesn't have desire for Jannah. That's not appropriate to say that. It's not appropriate. But what you should ask him what he means. He, what he means is, I don't care about the Hur and Khusur, the palaces and the gardens. But min Allahi Akbar. I want the pleasure of Allah. Ibtigha'u. Seeking the pleasure of Allah. That's what he's achieving, looking, striving for, not for anything else. Now the place of the Ridwan of Allah is Jannah. So Jannah is secondary, but objective is what? The pleasure of Allah is the greatest thing to achieve, to aspire for. Number four, when he says, I'm not afraid of Jahannam, because Jahannam is makhluq. And, and he's not afraid of Jahannam, he's afraid of the Khaliq, Allah, only Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, it's an inappropriate way of speaking. But technically, if you ask him what he means, it's not incorrect. Uh, because uh, Nabi Sallallahu told Abdullah bin Abbas that uh, um, What is it? Know if all the human beings, all the jinn, everyone, they all gather together. To harm you, they cannot harm you in the least unless Allah has decreed. So Jahannam can harm you without the decree of Allah. The fire can burn you. Ibrahim went to the fire, Allah said to the fire, become cool and peaceful for Ibrahim. That was the best days of his life. So, 
I'm not afraid of the fire, I'm afraid of Allah, the creator of the fire. And then when he, um, he eats maita, maita is dead meat, suffocated, strangled, not slaughtered. So maybe he loves fish. SubhanAllah. Right. So fish, is the fish slaughtered? Fish dies when you take it out of the water. Right? With the gills, it, you know, it breathes. Now it's in the air, the oxygen, it's the opposite. So for us, just like us, we get suffocated in the water, the fish gets suffocated in the air. So it's, it dies from suffocation, but it is completely halal. So... I, 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 remember the, I said when I used to do halal inspection once upon a time, I used to do halal inspections in the beginning. So I was at one store and I was going through the things. So I found a bo box of uh, fish. It had a picture of a hand on it and a knife. And it said in Arabic, This is hand slaughtered according to the Sharia requirements. And it was fish. When I saw that, I was like, SubhanAllah, how many, how should I believe in any sign anymore? Because it said, it was written in Arabic and it had a, a picture as well. It had a picture of a hand and a knife. And it was only fish in that can. It said, مَذْبُوحٌ بِالْيَدْ Slaughtered by hand. In Arabic, I remember the text is imprinted in my mind and I saw that. I was like, how you're slaughtering fish? بِالْيَدْ with hand. According to Sharia regulation. 100% Sabiha. Not 99%. Okay, so he, is, he loves fish. And then the next one was... Uh, he, oh yeah, he prays salah without ruku and sajda. Because not only he performs a farad salah, he also what? And farad ayn, he also performs farad kifaya. Wherever anyone dies, he joins the janazah salah. So he performs the janazah salah regularly for everyone without ruku and sajda. So, so, uh, so this is, this is um, how you can always find a way. We should, try, we should not jump. On, you know, to make takfir. Mufti Taqiyya Sahib, uh, he mentions that the ummah goes in two extremes in this matter. They are those who are trigger happy. They want to fire and say, oh, kafir, 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 left and right to people. That's very dangerous. You know, you do not have this particular understanding, therefore you're kafir right away. And then the other extreme, right, so that's the extreme right, radical right. The radical left, the liberals, they just say basically just like, whatever gender you want to identify, that's your gender. Whatever your ideology you want to identify, that's your ideology. So if you call yourself Muslim, that's it. You're Muslim. Qadani calls himself Muslim, fine, you're Muslim. Whoever, this one, Mirzai, Ahmadis, besides them, SubhanAllah, Alawis call themselves Muslims. Not even Shia, it's not Ashari. I'm talking more like Alawis. And Bataniya, and just random, um, so many deviated, completely ridiculous beliefs they have. You say you're Muslim, so how, how, how can you come and Say he's not a Muslim. He said he's Muslim. Right? So what does that mean? That means that Islam is so subjective, it's so like whatever. Anyone believes that I'm a Muslim, that's their Islam. This goes back to like a, the philosophical underpinnings is the whole concept of absolute truth versus relative truth. So is truth relative, subjective, or is it one absolute truth? What do you think? Absolute truth. There's absolute truth and there's absolute falsehood. There's haq and there's batil. There is no compulsion in faith. The rush, the path of guidance, and ghay, ghawaya, I talked about it last time. Ghawaya and ghabawa. Remember, we talked about ghabika ilaj hoga, lekin ghawika nahi. So the ghawi, the, the crookedness, 
The path of guidance and the path of misguidance has been clear. So there's a path of guidance and a path of misguidance. So they say, no, it's everything is relative. Whatever you feel is right for you is right for you. Whatever is right for me is right for me. And this has many, many different uh, um, manifestations in, in different contexts. From Aqidah now as well. So now what is your Islam may be different from my Islam. That's not the case. There is one true Islam. And that is the that which has been transmitted from Rasulullah and is known to be part of the deen and it has been transmitted from the generations through tawatir. If someone rejects that, even if he starts making some ta'wil, uh, some, some interpretation that he says, no, uh, I'm not rejecting it, I'm believing it, but this is my understanding. If it is something that there is no room for ishtihad, then that ta'wil also will not be accepted and that could end up being kufr. May Allah protect. Sometimes, there are af'al of kufr too, actions of kufr. And uh, there are uh, aqwal of kufr that the scholars have mentioned in kalimat of kufr, in the books of fatawa. Like if, if a father, for example, he tells his son that, you know, you should not miss your tahajjud, you should not miss your tahajjud. And he misses his tahajjud. Then he tells him, look, every day you get up and go to work. You don't miss going to work. But why are you missing your tahajjud? He said, yeah, I got away. But he doesn't. So are you going to say that... Um, He's a denier of his father's rights upon him and he completely disrespects his authority. No, you're going to just say he's weak. On the other hand, if somebody is na'udhu billah, astaghfirullah, even repeating such a thing, but if he's, whatever, attacking his father's face with his shoes or cursing him, are you going to say that, no, that's just a, you know, he had a bad day? Or are you going to say he disrespects his father? <coughs> he completely does not recognize the right of his father at this point, correct? Because there's no way that justifies. Likewise, uh, we believe that Murtakabul Kabira, a person committing a major sin, is not Mukhallad Finnar, eternally in the fire of Jahannam, is not expelled from the fold of Islam. The way who believed? Khawarij. Yeah, Khawarij and Murtazila. We talked about them. So, but there are certain amal, certain actions, which we can't say just a Murtakabul Kabira anymore. Uh, action is like if there's an idol, someone is making sajda to an idol, and then he says, hey, you know, that's just a major sin, right? You're not a khawarij, you're Ahlul Sunnah wal Jamaah, so what? you can't expel me for Islam. I believe in Allah. You make yourself that to an idol. No, that's just for political, you know, considerations, for interfaith, whatever. We go to their temple and worship their idol, they come to our mosque and pray with us. Forget about without wudu, without iman. The same stuff. So, you know, this is mutual cooperation and all that. One time I was passing a Hindu temple and there was one, uh, uh, one individual with me and they said, you know, this is a nice dua to re recite whenever you pass by uh, the ma'bad of the uh, uh, al the place of the worshipping of the idols. You should recite. We do not worship the false gods that you worship. So you cannot, a person cannot make sajda to an idol and say, I'm a mu'min. And and make, for example, desecration of the Qur'an, the Kalam of Allah, or the book of the Mus'haf, or other actions I don't want to say, or actions, or those are their book, in the books, those are kalimat of kufr and afa'al of kufr. And if someone did that, and the news comes to a mufti that what do you say about such an individual, then they will never say that Zayd is a kafir, Amr Bakr is a kafir. They will say, man qala haqadha faqad kafara, wa man fa'ala haqadha faqad kafar. If so-and-so said such and such statement, then such and such person would be a kafir. And if so-and-so did such and such statement, then so-and-so would be a kafir. Without taking directly the name. Because 
the one who is transmitting the news to you maybe lying, maybe falsifying the facts, intentionally or intentionally, maybe exaggerating it, like the telephone game. Some, somebody started saying something, and by the time you got to a few down the line, you know, there's a lot of idraj in the riwayah, addition, things added to it. So that's why we won't say. So if somebody comes and said that, you know, Zayd ibn Amr said this, and then the fatwa is written, Zayd ibn Amr is kafir. Maybe he never even said that. So that's why the safe way to say is, man qala hakadha, if he said such and such, Allah alam if he said it. The only exemption from or exception to this rule is if someone is openly inviting towards kufr, then you don't. Then then you will say no. You the mufti, not I or you. He will actually take the name and write a whole fatwa. This person is kafir because he is now mutaaddi. He mutaaddi means he's harming others. He's not bal gone astray. He's also mudil, leading others astray. So he's inviting towards the wrong aqidah. Like. Like Muhammad Qaddafi, he has so many aqaid of kufr. So he's like straight up kafir and inviting towards kufr. He's so many kufr, kafir aqaid he had. He wasn't like the other zalims. Like there are so many other zalims. Um, I don't want to add additional barakah to our gathering or nusa by mentioning other zalimin. But there are so many other Muslim rulers, tyrants, killed so many people. But they never really cared about the deen. I mean, they cared, they cared about their kursi, they cared about their power. Uh, you know, there's no uh, opportunity uh, for dissension and any activist would be jailed, tortured and all of that stuff. That happened. Thousands of people were jailed and all of that. But entering into the realm of the deen was not really their concern. Like they could care less about the deen, right? But this guy, unfortunately, you know, he wanted to be a new prophet. He came up with some really false ideas. So that's why the fatwa would come that, okay, his aqaid is a kufr. Then the question will come, wait a second, what if he made tawbah privately and you're putting a fatwa of kufr on him? The one who makes tawbah from a sin is like the one who never committed it. So you're still saying he has a fatwa of kufr on him and he actually made tawbah. So what's the response to that? The response to that is when a person has open kufr and is inviting towards open kufr and is teaching and preaching to his country, everybody must follow this kufr aqidah, then the fatwa of kufr against him is totally permissible until he makes a what? Public tawbah. He has to retract his statements publicly. Then the fatwa will obviously change at that point. So anyway, we wanted to talk about different forms of kufr. So, um, one is the kufr of zandaqa. We, all, I'll just touch, we already touched on that. Zindiq is the one who says, I believe in Islam, and I believe in Quran, and I believe in Hadith, but then he comes up with a very, very false interpretation that is completely off track. So this is a very, very dangerous form. This is the zindiq, the kufr of zandaqa. This is one of the uh, types of kufr, five types of kufr. So this is the first one. This is not the first one in the list, but the first one I just want to wrap, uh, wrap it up because we ended up talking about this. False, false interpretations. And I gave you, I gave you some examples of that. And we can go on with more examples afterwards. The... Uh, the first type, otherwise, in the list is kufr of inkar. What is kufr of inkar? This is a very, very basic kufr. Basic kufr, a person doesn't believe in his heart, doesn't testify with his tongue, doesn't practice with his body. There's no iqrar bil lisan, there's no amal bil arkan, there's no tasdiq bil janan. The three components we talked about last time of iman, none of them are there. This is aam, general kafir. So either he's an atheist or he's a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu or some other false religion or no religion. Or agnostic who has, is doubtful about religion. So he's like, are you a Muslim? No. 
So he rejects being a Muslim and he doesn't practice it. Uh, Islam and he, he doesn't believe in Islam inside and doesn't testify. It's like there are people who are doing kufr of inkar and they're saying I'm not a, I'm not a Muslim but people somehow still are blaming them to be Muslim. Right? Does that ring a bell? Who's saying I'm not a Muslim? People are saying, some people are saying you're still a Muslim. No one remember Barack Hussein Obama? He said I'm not a Muslim. So many times he said I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Muslim. But you know Donald Trump or whatever they say no. Some of his followers, you're, still, you're, under, you're undercover Muslim. What other dalil do you want? So this is kufr of inkar. When he says, I am not a Muslim. So then he's a kafir. So it's been a long time. People forgot perhaps. When he first came, there was a lot of excitement. Like, huh? Oh, his middle name is Hussein. Maybe he's a son of a murtad, so it'll be better. <laughs> no, it was not better. The previous one was putting them in, in, in Guantanamo, and he started saying, why the hassle of putting there and then International Red Cross, that, let's just shoot him from the sky. So he escalated the drone program. He personally signed off on all of them, right? So anyway, that's Kufar of Inkar. Now, the second one is Kufar of Juhud. Juhud, Jahada. Jahid, who is the Jahid? Kufar of Juhud is the one uh, who from the bottom of his heart, he knows about the truth of Islam, the truth of Iman. He has no doubt in his heart. Um, but with his tongue, he's rejecting it. And with his actions, he's against it as well. But in the heart of hearts, he knows it to be the truth. This is the, a very, very evil form of kufr. The first one who did this kufr is kufr of Iblis. So Iblis is a kafir. Um, He's not a kafir of munkir, of inkar, number one. He's a kafir of juhud. Because he has seen, he knows the reality. But he's rejecting it because of his kibber, his arrogance. When the, on the day of judgment, the Anbiya will intercede on behalf of their followers, the Hufad will intercede on behalf of their family members, the ulama, shuhada, all the different categories of those with the permission of Allah, they will intercede. And the biggest intercession, Shafi'i al-Mudhinabeen, is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah marzukhna shafa'ata. Now after the shafa'a, then the followers of Iblis will say, look, their leaders held them out, you have to help us out too. So there is a speech of Iblis to his followers. When the matter will be decreed that these are the people of Jahannam, he will say, Allah had given you a true promise. And I had given you a false promise. I had no authority over you. I only invited you towards the wrong path. You followed me of your own accord. Do not blame me today. Blame yourselves. I cannot help you today. You cannot help me as well. I already disbelieved in what I was inviting you. That, yani when I was inviting you towards falsehood, I knew that to be false. And I knew what was the truth, and I knew it was falsehood. He was in Jannah. He had seen it. Does he, I mean, his level of yaqeen in the existence of Jannah is higher than many people because he literally had ayn al-yaqeen. He saw it. He literally lived there, haqqul yaqeen. He was expelled from Jannah. So does he have any doubt about Jannah being existing? No, he knows Jahannam is reality, Jannah is reality, he knows he's going there and he wants to take as many people as he can. That is the, uh, such a um, profound, devastating effect of hasad, of jealousy, of kibber, arrogance, that despite 
like having more knowledge than many others, he is still on that path, persisting because of his arrogance. So that's kufr of juhud. The next one, number three, is kufr inad. Inad, inad is the one who, um, in his heart of his hearts, he knows and he understands it to be truth, and then. He's different from the one jahid because the jahid is rejecting it. Sometimes he even admits it. He says, yeah, it is the truth, it is the truth. But he is not ready to submit. He's not ready to practice. He's not ready to abduct the deen of Islam. He knows it to be true. He even admits it to be true. But he's not adopting it. Who is this people? We had one detail about a couple weeks and weeks. We talked about it. It was a hiraqal. Nabi sallallahu said, he was a kafir. He's a kafir. He admitted Remember, he admitted that Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when the letter came, Abu Sufyan, do you recall? يَوْمَ يَبْعَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ جَمِيعًا فَيُنَبِّيُهُمْ يَوْعَمِلُوا أَحْصَاهُ اللَّهُ نَسُوهُ Allah records it and we forget it. But we did discuss the story of Hiraqal in the detail. So he is a kafir of Inad. Then you have Abu Talib, who told Ali رضي الله عنه, this is a true religion. وَلَقَدْ عَلِمْتُ بِأَنَّ دِينَ مُحَمَّدٍ مِنْ خَيْرِ أَدْيَانِ الْبَرِيَّةِ there's a poem of Abu Talib, a qasida, and he praises Muhammad sallallahu Yet he did not accept it. Uh, um, he, he said it was his tongue, and he knew with his heart, but he did not adopt it and accept it to, for practicing. That's kufr of Inad. And then we have um, the exact opposite of kufr of juhud, which is kufr of nifaq. So kufr of nifaq is the heart is filled with kufr, disbelief, but external practices as pious and righteous as can be. In fact, the more pious and righteous he expresses himself, the more successful he is in his kufr, in his hypocrisy. So the jahid, what happens is, he's the one, is, uh, in his heart he believes, but he's denying it, like Iblis. Uh, but the munafiq is the one who is an enemy of Islam from inside. He doesn't believe, but he's portraying himself to be a believer from outside, externally. That's the hypocrite. Kufr of Nifaq. So these are the different types of Kufr that is important for us to understand so that we can protect ourselves from falling into any of them. And the opposite of this is of course Iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the reality of Iman. And we want to just quickly cover one of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa here. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Bisanad al-Muttasil minna ina al-Imam al-Humab. Amir al-Mu'minin al-Hadith al-Hafid al-Hujjah. Imam Muhammad al-Nismail al-Bukhari al-Yamani al-Ju'afi. رحمه الله متعن الله بعلومه وعلومه أمين يا رب العالمين قال حدثنا عبيد الله بن موسى قال أخبرنا حنظلة ابن أبي سفيان عن عكرمة بن خالد عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بني الإسلام على خمس شهادة لا إله إلا الله وأن محمد رسول الله وإقام الصلاة وإيتاء الزكاة والحج وصوم رمضان so in this hadith, Imam Bukhari, he says, Haddathana Ubaidullah ibn Musa. He says, my teacher, Ubaidullah ibn Musa, narrates to me. Ubaidullah ibn Musa ibn Badab was a scholar from Kufa. He was a thiqa, trustworthy narrator. Um, he narrates from a great tabi'een, including Imam Ahmad, and his students include Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Uh, and Imam Bukhari directly, Imam Muslim and the other authors, Abu Dawud, Nasai ibn Majah, Tirmidhi, they narrate for him through teachers. And he was a great alim of the Quran. And so he passed away in Iskandariya, in uh, northern Egypt, on the Mediterranean coast, 
in the year 213 Hijri. Right. Just a reminder that these are real people, real names, and real biographies. They're not just figment of someone's imagination. And Alhamdulillah, the scholars, they have recorded the biographies of all the ulama from our time till Rasulullah wasallam. He says, Ubaidullah bin Musa, Kufi, he says, uh, he narrates from Hanzala. Hanzala ibn Abi Sufyan. What's unique about this chain is that uh, uh, they are, uh, from here onwards, they're Al-Qurashi. From the tribe of Quraysh. Makki, Sahaba, and I mean grandchildren of the Sahaba, and um, we find that um, after the time of Sahaba and Tabi'un, many many narrators of Hadith and scholars of the Deen in the different branches of the Deen were the Mawali, were freed slaves and converts and Ajim, but in this Hadith, uh, they are all original like Qurayshis from the family of Rasulullah. So this one, Hanzala bin Abi Sufyan, bin, bin Abdurrahman, no, it's not Hanzala Rasulullah some Sahabi, no, 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 yeah, because this one he's passing away in 151 Hijri, yeah, so he's a grand teacher Imam Bukhari, so he's not the Sahabi of Rasulullah some, because he's narrating from Ikrama, then from Abdullah bin Umar, so yeah, so he's three generations down from the Sahaba. So this Handala is the son of Abu Sufyan, son of Abdul Rahman, son of Safwan, son of Umayyah bin Khalaf. So Umayyah bin Khalaf was a great enemy of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and his Qurashi uh, Makki. Uh, now this Umayyah bin Khalaf, you may have heard Umayyah bin Khalaf. His son was Safwan. His grandson was Abdul Rahman. His great grandson is Abu Sufyan. His great great grandson is Handala, is a narrator in this chain. He was a thiqa, very. A trustworthy narrator and um, and great imams like Sufyan Thawri narrated from him all the six books of hadith have a hadith narrated from him he passed away in the 151 Hijri he narrates from Ikrama bin Khalid Ikrama bin Khalid is also Qurashi Ikrama bin Khalid bin As bin Hisham bin Mughira Qurashi Mahzumi from the family of Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhum he narrates from Abdullah bin Umar and Abdullah bin Abbas in particular. And then you have An ibn Umar. Ibn Umar is the son of Abdul, uh, Umar radiallahu Do you remember we spoke about the Abadul Khamsa, the five Abdullahs? They're Imams of five different fields. So Abdullah ibn Abbas is the Imam of Tafsir. And Abdullah ibn Umar is the Imam of Sunnah. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is the Imam of Fiqh. And Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As is the Imam of Zuhud, Zahid Abid. And Abdullah ibn Zubair was the Imam of the Mujahideen. Mujahid. Did we cover the Abadul Khamsa? I believe in one of the hadith in the beginning of Badal Wahi. No one remembers? No? Maybe I didn't know. So, yeah, so, uh, well, how, how, how do we, we, I just said there are five, and there are five Imams of five fields, like how so? So obviously each one has what? Their own biography. <laughs> so how was Abdullah bin Abbas Imam Tafsir? That's a beautiful story. He was a Hebrew Ummah, a great Mufassir, through the dua of Rasulullah Allah wa faqihu fi deen wa alimhu ta'weel. May Allah grant him the understanding of deen and knowledge of tafsir. He earned the dua of Rasulullah by doing his khidmah at night when he prepared the water for his wudu. And then, uh, then you have the story of Abdullah bin Mas'ud, who was an imam of fiqh. Abdullah bin um, yani Umar, anhu, he sent him as the mu'allim of Kufa. And he said, Ya Ahla Kufa, Ya Ahla Iraq, I, am, I, I have great need of him, but I'm sending you a great teacher. Learn the fiqh from him. And Abdullah bin Umar is the one we're talking about here. He was Imam Sunnah. He, he, is, he was known for 
being very, very pious and righteous from young age, because he was a young boy when he accepted Islam with his father, Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu. Umar radiallahu is known for uh, being very strong personality. Abdullah bin Umar was different. He was a very mellow, soft, humble, and abid type of individual, who doing a lot of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, um, he used to sleep very little at night, always kind of la yinamu illa qalila. He was always worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was known for, you know, the Sunnah of Rasulullah there are two types the Sunnah al Huda and Sunnah al Zawaid. Also known as Sunnah al Ibadah and Sunnah al Ada. Sunnah of Ibadah is that which Nabi Sallallahu did as an Ibadah, as a worship. And Sunnah al Zawaid or Sunnah al Ada is that which Nabi Sallallahu did habitually, just as a habit. So that which Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did as an ibadah, that is obviously much more important for us that we need to follow. Following it is, is a means of guidance, Sunan al-Huda. And that which he did additionally, just that was um, something he did culturally, then uh, if someone does it with the niyat of following, he will receive the reward. But there's no sin in leaving that. So there's a distinction. Now sometimes people do not make the distinction. They'll say, okay, you know, why are you... Um, for example, uh, emphasizing, oh, the beard. You know, why don't you ride the camel as well? You, you drive a car, don't you drive a car and the airplane and train and whatever? Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he, you know, he, he just had a beard because everyone else had a beard, just like everyone, he rode a camel like everyone else did. There's a distinction between the two. How do we determine the distinction from his statements, from his action? So, if there's a particular type of dress he was wearing, yes, he did change the dress um, because there was an aura that he dictated from the navel to the knee must be covered and beyond that, and he changed some of the dress from the mushrikeen. But, um, for example, the particular fabric he would wear. Do you have to wear the fabric? No. Right? But when it comes to the, um, the like, or the camel, did he mention the virtues of riding the camel? There's so much reward if you ride the camel, so much reward, and so much sin if you don't. He didn't. So therefore, that's a sunan al-ibada, habitual thing. If someone has an opportunity to ride a camel and he follows the sunnah of Rasulullah and he says, I'm doing this because I love my Prophet, he'll receive reward. But if he doesn't, there's no sin. But when it comes to the beard, um, he didn't say, I'm just keeping a beard because everyone else is. He specifically gave a command, that do lengthen your beards as men. And he said, and trim your shawarib, uh, your mustache, trim it, keep it short. Even more explicit is that when uh, the Kisra was a Persian emperor, he wanted to send a letter to Rasulullah, well, actually not a letter, he wanted to capture Nabi Sallallahu and he ordered him to be brought to his court. But geographically, you know, it's interesting that Persia is in the north. Now he had to send someone to go call him. So he, he sent someone from south of Hijaz, in Makkah and Medina. Who was that? In Yemen. Because Yemen was a colony of the Persian Empire. They didn't even bother ruling over the Arabs. They just went over them. They said, this waste of time. And then they colonized Yemen in the south, even though Hijaz in the Arabian Peninsula, Jazil Arab, is closer to Iran than Yemen. So Iran was interfering in Yemen from those days <laughs> till today with the Houthiyun and all of that happening in the civil war. So the Iran, so he sent the Iran, he sent a letter from uh, the Persian Kisra, Persian emperor, sent a letter to his governor in Yemen that you go and capture him and bring him to me. 
So then the Yemen governor, he sent the two envoy, the messengers. And when they came into Medina, then um, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he turned his face away. And he did not have, he could not tolerate seeing them. Why? And then he said, Man Who commanded you to shave off uh, your beard like this? He was not happy. So then they said, Amarana Rabbuna Kisra. Our Lord Kisra has commanded us. This is the royal dress. I mean, as we are messengers of the king. So then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Amarani Rabbi. But my Lord has commanded me. To grow the beard. So he, he attributed it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not like the camel. He didn't say, My Lord commanded me to ride a camel. All right? Um, subhanAllah. It was really, uh, one of our teachers mentioned that Mulana Yusuf Lidiani Shaheed Rahmatullahi, he was a ustad of hadith in Jamiz al-Ulum Islam in Binori town. He was a great scholar, um, great writer, and Many things he, he many great known as also he was head of the Khatman Nubuwa. Majlis Tahf was a Khatman Nubuwa. That's why the Qadianis they killed him, they shot him, he was assassinated. When he was going to teach hadith, Muslims. He used to teach Sahih Muslim in Binuri town and they came in Karachi on the motorbikes and they shot him and then they escaped. So one time he was one time he was sitting and one person came to him and he said that Abi may uh, I have just come from Umrah in Ziyarat. I have come from Umrah in, in, in Makkah in Ziyarat of Rasul in Medina in Masjid Nabwi and came back. So he saw him and then he just started crying. Crying, crying so loud, so loud, so loud. Meaning like he was sobbing that he was catching his breath. So then the person said, what did I say wrong? I just said I came from Medina in Makkah. Why are you crying like that? Then he was sobbing, crying out loud and in the middle he, when he was able to catch his breath he said, Meri Nabi ko kitni taklif because he was clean shaven. He said, how much pain have you given my Habib? Because he turned his face away when people came in such a face in front of him. Why did you go like that in front of him? SubhanAllah, may Allah Ta'ala give us the reality. The reason I remember this is because Abdullah bin Umar was known not only of course to follow all the Sunan of uh, Hidayah, but also the Sunan of Zawaid. To the extent that where Nabi Sallallahu was traveling and wherever he rested, he just happened to rest somewhere, he would stop in the same places to rest. There was one tree where Nabi Wasallam took a shade under that tree, then he would water that tree and he would make sure it doesn't die so that whenever he gets a chance and he would pass by there, he would sit under that tree. So that's why when he says Imam of Sunnah, meaning the Imam of Ittiba of Sunnah, like to the tree, like every single Sunnah, whether it's Maqsood or Ghair Maqsood, whether it's an objective or not an objective, he wanted to Follow Rasulullah This is where he rested, I will rest there. This is where he stopped, I will stop here. This is where he bent down. So then he was bending down. There's nothing in the way. Why are you bending down? He said, no, there was a branch here. Nabi Sallallahu was traveling on his camel and he bent down to protect from the branch. I remember there's no branch, nothing blocking. He still would bend down there. So that was his a strange, unparalleled, and unique love that Abdullah bin Umar had for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he wanted to and you, they would hear, like if they're, they're coming in, uh, one person, uh, he was out in the, outside the door. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi was saying, sit down to someone here. He heard it over there and he sat down. Outside. He said, I heard, my master said, sit down, I will sit down. <laughs> Allah. 
So uh, we're talking about Sunnah, one scholar, he mentioned a beautiful thing that uh, if you ask someone today, um, like, you're walking away, why, why didn't you do such and such practice? Uh, um, so, like, after, maybe, mashallah, great, he performed the Isha Salah, he's just walking away after, in, in Ramadan. Then he say, Tarabi is just Sunnah. It's just Sunnah. So why are you leaving the practice? The reason, the illa, the reason behind leaving the practice is, it's sunnah. And if you ask the sahabi that why are you dying for this? He'll say, because it is sunnah. So he's ready to die for it because sunnah, you're ready to leave it because sunnah. The same reason but the exact opposite effect. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anhu sahibu sirra Rasulullah was on the negotiating table in a very high level delegation meeting with the leaders of Azerbaijan in Armenia and the Armenia border in the Khilafat Osman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu so they were negotiating the peace treaty and they were nobles and then they had a feast so they were eating so when he was eating one of the morsel of his food fell out from his hand he said, what is the hadith of Rasulullah One of your luqma and morsel of food falls out of your hand, فَلْيُمِتْ عَنْهَا الْأَذَى Hit him, remove anything harmful from it, if it becomes dirty. وَلْيَأْكُلُهُ Then let him eat it. فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْرِي If you don't know, في أي طعام يالبركة Which morsel of the food has the full baraka? So you don't want to let it go. So he picked it up and he was getting it, cleaning it, to eat it. So somebody on his side, he nudged him with the elbow, and he said that, you're gonna look like fakir, miskin, poor Arabs, that you don't even have food, you're picking it up off the, uh, that fall down. So it's considered like a higher class thing. You know? They have huge plates, they eat a little bit, and what? Throw it away, na'uzubillah. So, don't do that. Like he was trying to be discreet by just nudging him like, like that. So don't, I don't think it's a good idea. So then what did he say? Loudly he said, You want me to abandon the sunnah, my beloved, for these fools? I don't know how the, what happened in the negotiation after that. He just called them all fools. You want me to leave my sunnah of my habib, my beloved, for these foolish people? I'll never do that. So then the person who nudged him said, Oh, that was a wrong move. <laughs> Okay, so that was Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu. That's why when um, um, uh, when uh, when Muawiyah radiallahu anhu was passing away, he told Yazid bin Abi, you know that there are different people who deserve khilafat. Abdullah bin Umar is alive; he was still alive. He said, "Don't have to worry about him because he's Sufi Abid. He's not interested in becoming a Khalifa." So, decades earlier, when Umar radiallahu was passing away, somebody suggested that, "Oh, you can ask Abdullah to be the next Khalifa." Like decades, decades ago, many, many, like. 40 years earlier. So, but he said, no, I'm not. In fact, his cousin, Sayyid bin Zayd, he didn't include him in the shura because he was his cousin. He didn't want any charges of nepotism, of favoring relatives. But Abdullah bin Zubair, watch out, he's a mujahid. And Hussein bin Ali, he's also a mujahid. These two. So the Abdullah bin Zubair, Hussein bin Ali, radiallahu anhu, and Abdullah bin Umar. These are the three people who are worthy of khilafat over you, he told Yazid. And then Abdullah bin Zubair and Hussein bin Ali, there were issues with them uh, in Karbala and in Makkah, respectively. And Abdullah bin Umar, he didn't bother about all this stuff. He was very Abid Zahid a person following the Sunnah, making dua and tahajjud. Okay, qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu He said, Rasulullah said, Buni al-Islamu ala khamsin. Islam is based upon five pillars. Shahadati an la ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah. Testifying that there's no one worthy of worship besides Allah and Muhammad Rasulullah. There was a one beautiful nukta 
that uh, Mullah Sadimullah Khan sahab, rahimahullah, he mentions that he heard from Allah Shabir Ahmad Usmani Ali, who quotes from his teacher on Rasha Kashmiri Ali. These are great alam and scholars, that's why I took their names. That uh, Anwar Kashmiri Rahimullah, he, me- he mentioned that whenever you look in uh, the hadith, that uh, um, the word shahada is there testifying. Whenever the word shahada is there, it's always Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. You'll see wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah. And Muhammad Rasulullah along with La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah is testification of the oneness of Allah. And Muhammad Rasulullah is testification of the prophethood of Rasulullah. So it'll always be, it'll never be Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Full stop, period. End. It's always Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Or wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah. When you have the verb ashhadu, I testify. I bear witness. The reason is, when you say ashhadu, I testify, I bear witness, the purpose is to prove your iman. You're testifying, you're proving your iman, you're making a statement of iman. So therefore you have to make the full statement of tawheed and risala. Oneness of Allah and prophethood of Rasulullah But without the verb ashhadu, without shahada, if you have just la ilaha illallah, you can have the full kalama la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Absolutely, it comes many times. But sometimes, if the dhikr is maqsood, just the dhikr, uh, then you will find la ilaha illallah, period. But you will never find la ilaha illallah without the verb ashhadu. For example, the hadith, man kana akhiru kalamihi, la ilaha illallah, dakhal al jannah. The one whose last words before he dies are, la ilaha illallah, he will enter jannah. Or, laqinu mawtakum qawla la ilaha illallah. Those who are nearing death, make the talqeen of the kalima la ilaha. Illallah. Likewise, afdalu dhikri la ilaha illallah. So, where the dhikr is maqsood, you can say la ilaha illallah. There is no, there is dhikr sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is dhikr Allahumma salli ala Muhammad salawat. But there, we do not do the dhikr of Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad Rasulullah. That's not a dhikr. There is a dhikr la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. La. So, la, man qala la ilaha illallah, mi amara. Whoever does says la ilaha illallah a hundred times, his face will be like the shining moon. Etc. Etc. So, La ilaha illallah can be uh, the dhikr, and sometimes you can add Muhammad Rasulullah. There's no problem. The pro- there's uh, the, he's not saying that La ilaha illallah is sufficient without Muhammad Rasulullah. He's just saying it is permissible. But with the verb ashadu testification, it's always ashadu la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah together. That was a very beautiful point. He says, "Bunil Islam ala khamsin." The middle. Pillar is shahada, la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Then you have iqam is salah, establishing salah, ita is zakah, giving the zakat, wal hajj, performing the hajj, salmi Ramadan, and fasting the month of Ramadan. So, bis, uh, we will conclude, the time is up, everyone uh, uh, has to go now. But I just want to remind everyone this hadith is well known, everyone knows this hadith. This is like a building. And the central pillar is la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, shahada, la ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah. And without this middle pillar, if a person has all the other amal, they're not going to be of any use. The middle pillar is most important to keep the building up. And then the four pillars are for the four corners. If any one of the corners uh, are missing, then that corner will be defective, will be weak. Um, but the most important one is the middle one. And this is the building that will protect a person uh, from all the pain and difficulty on the day of judgment, a person inside this building he is safe. Outside this building is destruction. 
Allahu Akbar. And one thing to note also is that there are only five pillars, not 15, not 50, not 500, only five. So we need to learn how to perform these five. How to, uh, uh, what are the dictates of the shahada of Iman? Learning our aqidah, learning how to perform salah, iqamatu salah, what are the lahir and the batin, the external, the internal dimension of salah, the tazkiyah, the ilm of fiqh to perform it correctly, how to discharge zakat, whom do you need to discharge it to, how to calculate it, etc., how to perform hajj, how to fast in the month of Ramadan. We need to learn the fiqh. We cannot give it up and say it's too much because there's only five. And it's mentioned Hassan Basri, rahmatullahi, he was at one janazah and there was a poet, Farazdaq, there. So, Farazdaq is a poet, poets, and he, there are a few poet, poets who may be very righteous, but in, by and large, they have a different type of lifestyle. So, as Allah Ta'ala says, They you know, so he was a very like wild type of character. So Hassan Basri Rahmatullah asked him, there was a janazah. So you know what Nabi Sallallahu said, Mot death is a sufficient wa'id. You don't need to give another bayan there because the death is right there. So he asked him, Ma Oh what have you prepared for this day? So he said, Shahada la ilaha illallah. So uh, Hassan Basri rahmatullahi said, This is the middle pillar, where are the four corners? So we cannot just testify and say, that's it. We have to work on qamatu salah, ita'u zakah, hajj, and sawmi Ramadan. Um, some scholars, they ask the question, wait a second, why is it only five? Aren't there other a'mal too? Yes, there's jihad fi sabillah. There's so many other actions. But there's, um, these are one of each type of category. Because the ibadah is either going to be qawli or ghair qawli. Something you, from the tongue or not from the tongue. So the qawli ibadah was shahadat Allah ilallah, testifying. Then if it's not qawli, then the ibadah is either going to be tarki or wujudi. Meaning you're abstaining from something or doing something. So if you're abstaining, that's your psalm, fasting. You abstain from eating and drink. Then if you're doing something, then it's either badani or mali or combination. If it's badani, that's salah. If it's mali, that's zakat. If it's a combination, murakkab baynahuma, that's hajj. Because in hajj, you have to um, physically be there, badani, and it's mali, you have to spend money to go there too. Som is abstaining from. So there are a lot of different ibadat in which you have to abstain from things. That's covered under som. There's a lot of ibadat that uh, come under financial, nafal things like sadaqah, etc. That falls under zakat. There's a lot of physical forms of ibadah that comes under salah. So these are, each one represents a particular category. And there are many that fall under that category, but these are the biggest ones. Like zakat is the biggest from the mali ones. Salah is definitely the biggest from the badani ibadah. Salah is, salah is uh, the most important obligation after shahada. From these five, the number one most important one is salah. Let us. Uh, just conclude with that. So there's a call to action. The call to action is that we have to be punctual over our salah. Now each one of these is in, in, in the same Sahih Bukhari. We'll have a whole kitab salah. We'll talk about the salah, whole kitab zakat, whole kitab al-hajj, whole of Ramadan. Each one have, has not only a bab but a whole kitab, meaning there's a whole chapter on each one. So there's enough time we can, if Allah gives tawfiq, to talk about it and learn about it. But we have to start practicing now rather than later. So if you just take salah as the last call of action, just remember that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that 
من ترك صلاته متعمدا فقد كفر whoever intentionally leaves salah has done an act of kufr and the first thing أول ما يحاسب العبد يوم القيامة الصلاة the first thing that will be accountable on the day of judgment is salah من ضيعها فولي ما سواها أضيع whoever is fails salah everything else will be a bigger failure Salah is a pillar of deen. Whoever established it has established his deen. Whoever destroys it has destroyed his deen. Position of his salah in the body, in, in, the, in his, uh, Islam, is like the head in the body, etc., etc. So this is the first thing. The first thing we will have to give a reckoning for on the day of judgment. And the punishment for missing it, subhanAllah. Nabi said that, imagine. If there's, he said it in brief, but I'm expanding on it. He said, if there's a person who's coming back from a journey, and he goes, Subhanallah, what does he see? As he's entering his home, that the whole house is destroyed, it's burned, looted, plundered. Then he enters inside, in the, in the burning embers, he sees he's in all his wealth is stolen, life savings. Then he goes inside further, all his family members' dead bodies are there, they've all been killed. Not a single member of his family is left alive. All his assets have been taken. All his loved ones have been killed. What is the extent of his loss? Can you imagine? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, The one who misses one salah, his loss is greater than the one who lost all his loved ones and all his wealth. That's how great it is. SubhanAllah. Imagine the men are sitting here for us, his obligation all the time. Can you imagine the woman in the time of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? There's so much fikr for salah that in the middle of the night, if they're ending the end of the, towards the end of their haydn period, they would repeatedly go light the candle, candle and check the cloth to see is there any drops of blood or is stopped. Because if I wait till fajr and I say, okay, I'll take a ghusl and pray fajr, what about my isha? Potentially, I may have missed my isha if my haydn, my bleeding stopped before fajr. Because isha is a tricky one because time for sleeping and more tricky because it's so long. So if I become tahira, pure, before dawn, then my isha is wajib and farad, and I must make qada of it, or ada of it, and if I miss it, qada of it. Otherwise, I will think it's part of my head, and I won't make qada. So they would wake up, check, oh no, then wake up, check. So much concern that I cannot miss my my, my, my salah. So this is the level of concern they had. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us. When a person is healthy, he prays standing, sick, sitting, sit, reclining. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa final sickness is coming to perform salah, etc., etc. So we have to really work on our salah, work on our zakat, hajj, and Ramadan. Focus on these five pillars, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us to pass into Jannah. Wa akhru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Subhanallah, bihamdihi, subhanakallah, bihamdihi, la ilaha illa, anta astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.